Hello, you're listening to uh, On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. A few weeks ago, I was fortunate to obtain an interview with Gadi Ezenko, the general who led the Israeli army until his retirement three years ago. The lengthy sit-down with Eisenkot yielded fascinating insights, one of which was his assessment that the U.S. pullout from the nuclear deal with Iran had been a strategic mistake. According to Eisenkot, then Prime Minister Netanyahu hadn't even consulted with Israel's defense agencies before exerting maximum pressure on President Trump to withdraw from the deal. Fast forward almost four years, and you have the Houthis launching exploding drones and missiles at the Emirates under what uh, Israeli claims are direct orders from Iran. The world has responded to these uh, two recent attacks on the Emirates with a huge yawn while Israel offered its help. On another front, the government seems to be changing Israeli policy on the Palestinians. Defense Minister Gantz met recently with Palestinian Chairman Abu Mazen and Foreign Minister Lapid met with the Palestinian pointman on Israeli affairs, Hussein al-Sheikh. To help us make sense of these latest shifts and developments, we are hosting one of the most veteran, experienced, and knowledgeable Israeli experts, a retired Brigadier General, a former member of many Israeli governments and security cabinets, a medical doctor and founder of Israel's legendary Airborne 669 search and rescue team. Brigadier General Dr. Ephraim Sneh has kept in close touch with the senior Palestinian leaders over the years and is also a frequent guest in the Gulf states. Currently, is chairing the Center of Strategic Affairs and Dialogues in the Netanya College. Brigadier General Ephraim Sneh joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series On the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. I'm very happy to welcome to our show my friend and colleague, Dr. General Ephraim Sne. Shalom, Ephraim. How are you doing? And thank you for joining us here in On Israel in Al Monitor. Hi. I, I'm fine, and thank you for having me. Okay, let's uh, dive into uh, the so many issues we have to talk about. Uh, let's start with the Palestinian issue. 
uh, with which you are intimately familiar. Negotiations with them have been frozen for years. Israel has neglected the issue and demonized the Palestinian leadership. The new government is changing direction. Uh, Gantz and Lapid are meeting with senior uh, Palestinian officials. Uh, an occasional whisper is being heard about uh, renewing some talks. No one knows about what. On the other hand, a government that includes hawks like uh, Naftali Bennett, Gidon Saar, and Avigdor Lieberman is unlikely to go for real negotiations. How do you see uh, these developments? Unfortunately, the the government, the current government, doesn't really change the course of the previous one. There is a change, but it's not a new policy, a new uh, direction. And um, we have to remember, as you mentioned, this is a balanced uh, government. The coalition, if if to we have to remember, one third and only one third of the coalition is against two-state solution. The rest are in favor. But okay, let's say it's a balanced government. A balanced government should not take unbalanced steps. And uh, the, the, unfortunately, the government didn't stop the course of uh, policy of provocative uh, settlements. Uh, there, there are attempts to build large uh, settlements around Jerusalem to make, to separate Jerusalem uh, from the, what's supposed to be a Palestinian state. The, the violence of the extreme settlers is unprecedented and not contained. So to meet, uh, to meet Hussein Sheikh and Abu Mazen, it's not enough to rectify the policy of the previous government and to try at least, and this should be the real purpose of the Israeli new policy in the Palestinian attempt, to prevent the deterioration to, a, to an ethnic conflict. This is the real danger. And the, what is most important to be done is to, to, to prevent and to neutralize the pretext for the extremists in both sides to push the two communities, the Israeli and the Palestinian, in the slope which leads to an ethnic conflict. And, I, and this is an this existential danger for us as a Jewish democratic state. I want to ask you a follow-up question about it. Usually people say that we're not going to, to, to deteriorate, we don't want to escalate or deteriorate or go to a religious uh, conflict. What is the difference between uh, ethnic conflict and religious conflict? We don't want a war with Islam, but what do you mean when you say ethnic conflict? It, it's uh, two definitions of the same thing. The, the idea of the, of the Hamas and in the same time of what I call the Jewish Hamas, is to push to a conflict which will, which will be between the river, between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean. The West Bank, Gaza, and the, uh, and the mixed cities inside Israel, like Akko and Ramle and, 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 uh, and Haifa. Yes. They wanted the entire population, the, the two populations, 
will clash with each other. It will be in Akko, it will be in Jericho. This is, this is their, their intention, why? Because they, each, each Hamas, the Israel, the Jewish Hamas and, and the Arab Hamas, they want that the other people will go away from you. It will not happen, but in the meantime, the life here may become a real, a real nightmare. One more figure for reminder. Today, between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, 15 million people are living. Only half of them are Jewish. And, uh, and it's not going to anywhere uh, good for us because uh, demographically, I think uh, the, the Arab side is more, uh, let's say, uh, fruitful. So uh, nothing... Uh, Vertile, you mean. Vertile, yes, of course. Uh, okay, let's say, let, you mentioned Gaza. Uh, let's talk about it. Surprisingly, the Gaza front has been uh, calm in recent months. Uh, this could obviously change uh, in a heartbeat. But for now, there is almost complete silence. Prime Minister Bennett is talking about being tough on security and generous on the economy. He says Israel will respond to every provocation from Gaza, even an exploding balloon. But on the other hand, Israel is enabling uh, improvements in the lives of the Gaza population and its Hamas rulers. Do you think this is the way to go? Half of the way to go. I have to praise the government because they changed the response policy of the previous government. The, the, the response policy of Netanyahu government was very, very soft and permissive to the Hamas. The attacks of the balloons and, and uh, other kind of, let's say it's soft terrorism, uh, did not meet uh, a real strong, uh, strong sport. Why? Because the policy was to be nice with Hamas to strengthen Hamas and to weaken Abbas. I mean, Abu Mazen. Yes. Now, I, have, I, I praise the, 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 the current government because the response are, are harsher and that's what should, should be done. What is what, something which I totally against is the attempts to, to restore the policy of, of arrangement. As we call it in Hebrew, we call it hasdara. In English, it's arrangement. There's no, no arrangement with with the movement or terrorist movement like like Hamas. This is something that the previous government uh, invented, and unfortunately, uh, the current government is is gradually returning to this old policy. More Qatari money. More involvement of Qatar in in, in the. Uh, in 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 the uh, in Gaza Strip, this should be ended. This should be ended. It doesn't mean to be tough on terrorism. No single world, not single country in the world, would accept a, a terror basis just on straight on its border. And we accept it. Why? What to do in favor of the? I don't think that we have to punish the population. In Gaza, they're already badly, badly punished. They live in poverty all the time, on the verge of humanitarian crisis, and we have to carefully select what we do in favor of the people, the poor people in Gaza, and what we don't do 
in favor of the repressive terrorist regime of, of Hamas. I will tell you, I will give you an example that you will see that I'm not just, you know, speaking nice words in the world. If you increase the number of, of uh, people from Gaza who come to work in Israel, it's good for them. It gives them a lot of money that they need. And by doing so, you create a hardcore of, of Gazans who have a clear interest that will be no terror across the border. And the Hamas knows it. This is something which is good to the people of Gaza, bad to Hamas. Because if Hamas restart the, the, the shelling and the rockets, launching of missiles, it means for these people who bring bread home that they will not. So this is a, an example of a measure which is good for the people, bad for Hamas. But to allow the Hamas to enjoy the Qatari financing just in order to prepare themselves for the next round with Israel, this is irresponsible. But you know, we live in a catch-22 situation. By the way, this is exactly what this government is, is doing and right now, if I'm not wrong, 10,000 Gazans workers can uh, go to Israel daily to work and, and they support around, uh, I think, something like 150,000 people in, in the street. But, but what can you do against the Hamas and the rulers? Because, you know, you, you, you cannot conquer Gaza. You cannot go back to, to, to Gaza because you will be in a swamp that no one wants to be in. So how, how would you solve it? I will tell you what is the, the problem. You cannot solve the, pro the problem of Gaza separately from the entire Palestinian problem. All the time we are, we are looking for solutions that will solve the problem of Gaza. The problem of Gaza is a part and parcel of the Palestinian problem. And the solution is a comprehensive one. Not a, you know, social, social uh, solutions for the poor people in Gaza. It's not enough. It's a part of the political problem. Now, what can you do in the meantime? Given the paralysis or the diplomatic paralysis of the Israeli government, you can at least be very harsh on terrorism, generous as, as possible to the population. And you, another point, you can cooperate with other with Arab countries who are against Ahwan or the Muslim Brotherhood, which Hamas is actually a part of it, and they want to play a role. And sometimes we have to convince them to, to, to play a role uh, in Gaza. But why is Qatar the only, the, the only state that can be active in Gaza? No. No. Okay, so talking about... Egypt, Egypt, from their reasons, they're... They, they are quite, uh, I would say, they are quite soft on Hamas because of other considerations. But we have to solidify an Arab front against Hamas. I think uh, we will both agree that uh, the late president, late Egyptian president Anwar Sadat was very clever when he refused to get the Gaza Strip with, uh, with the rest of Sinai after the 
the peace accords between Israel and Sinai. Now we are stuck with this problem, but I want to go with you. You mentioned Qatar. Let's go, let's move to the Gulf. I recently wrote in uh, on Al-Monitor that Israel is uh, convinced the Houthis were operating under direct orders from Tehran uh, when they deployed explosive drones and missiles against the Emirates. Do you agree with this uh, assessment? And what do you uh, make of these uh, aggressive Iranian singles, uh, signals? Are they uh, directed at the negotiators in Vienna? Look, uh, with, with all modesty, seven years ago, exactly, plus one month, I wrote that the, the, that Yemen is the next base of terrorism in the region, and the Houthis are supported by Iran, and they will take and they will carry out terrorist actions against the, the Arab state and maybe even against Israel. Something which, till today, they didn't dare to do. The 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 activities of the Houthis in Yemen is like Hezbollah in Lebanon. It's like the militias in Syria. This is extension of the or. This is the way the Iranian regime is acting to gain hegemony in the region. They support militias, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily Shiite, support the militias, and, the, and through the, 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 the militias, they are taking over countries. It is Hezbollah in Lebanon. It's now the entrenched in Syria, uh, in Iraq. Don't forget, important place, mm -hmm. and in Yemen. Now, what should we do? No matter what will be in Vienna, even if there is an agreement in Vienna, the countries in the region, Israel included, have to keep fighting against the Iranian subversion. Agreement in, in uh, Vienna will not exempt us of the duty to fight the subversion. And we have to do it. And there are, there are a lot to do, not only, not only in Yemen. Here, UAE and Saudi Arabia are, uh, are doing what they are forced to do. But uh, let's speak about another example. The, the precision uh, guidance of the missiles in, in Lebanon. There are 150,000 missiles and rockets in the hands of Hezbollah. And... Iran is in the middle of an effort to upgrade their, uh, their uh, homing and navigation uh, capacities. They will be able to, to send this, to launch these rockets to selected targets in Israel. We should prevent it at, at all costs. And now, so agreement in Vienna is, is extremely important, but it's not it's not covers all the all the issues that we tackle with. I have to I have to ask you. Uh, you are very close with the Israeli military and defense establishment and government. You are a veteran politician, ex-politician, and when you say actually we are neither near the, the red line, and we have to stop it now. Should I understand that uh, we are uh, really reaching the the point of decision? I think we are in the area of decision. Yes, there are, there are several threats coming from Iran that we have to address now. 
And according to our experience, whenever we, you know, we allow things to happen, later on we pay the price. Yes. Two things. One, the precision project of the Iranians, the the upgrading of the of the Hezbollah rockets, and the entrenchment of Iran in South Syria. It's a growing threat. If their militias will will be well based and equipped, of course, in South Syria, it's another front against Israel. We cannot allow it to happen. We have to act. And actually, we are acting according to foreign media, what we call the, the battle between the wars. I think we are acting and successfully. And I think General Eisenkot was talking about it in the interviews that he granted me in the last two weeks. And, and so, so let's speak about it, about Iran. Um, let's speak about uh, the nuclear agreement. Uh, do you agree with the, the assessment of former IDF chief uh, Gadi Eisenkot that in uh, hindsight, the US pullout from the nuclear deal was more damaging than it was uh, beneficial? Look, two things. Well, once we have to praise and to thank General Eisenkot for leading the, the efforts to, to, to fight the entrenchment in Syria and the, and the tunnels from Lebanon to Israel, which is a part of the same uh, military buildup. But about what, what happened in, the, uh, in 2015 uh, with, with, the, with the nuclear deal. Look, the deal was a bad one. Let's say it. It was not a good deal. But, and listen carefully, since it was signed, to destroy it was a mistake. It, I, I have to tell you, Frank, it, it, was not, it was not a good agreement, and I wrote against it in, the, in that time. I spoke and wrote against it. But the policy of Netanyahu vis-a-vis the, the Obama administration was mistaken. We should not fight the Americans. They are our allies. We have to try to work with them and not against them. And then, after Trump was in power and, 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 the, and the nuclear deal was signed, the JCPOA, to withdraw in, in the way it happened, it was a mistake. And how we know? Let's see the result. Today, Iran is closer, much closer, much, much closer to nuclear capacity than it was if the, the, the agreement was respected by Trump administration. So yes, it, it's a mistake. It was a mistake. The behavior of the government was a mistake and the effort, so many things were done in order to push Trump to this decision. Almost by, I can't say by force, but by very meaningful uh, steps, Israel tried to push him to withdraw from the, from the deal. It was not clever, and what I learned from your uh, important uh, uh, interview with General Eisenhower, that the entire military establishment was not in favor of it. Was not in favor of it. 
No one consulted. No, he said no one consulted. I, I did not uh, participate in, in even in one uh, meeting or, or a cabinet or whatever that, that uh, the prime minister came and asked our opinion. They, they were surprised uh, by, by this maneuver, uh, like, like, like the, 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 the ordinary people like myself. But, but let's, let's uh, go on. How do, you, how do you see the state of uh, play in Vienna at uh, this point? Do you believe there is a chance that the Iran and the US will reach agreement? Let's put it like this. A good agreement would not be achieved. Look at the behavior of the Iranians. They are very arrogant. They're doing the, their best to, to, to gain time in the meantime to become what they hope a threshold, what we call a threshold state. And uh, I can't say that they meet a very, very strong, uh, tough position on the part of the Western democracies. Uh, so maybe something will be achieved, maybe. And, and may, I can tell you achievement agreement is better than non-agreement, but it will not be a good agreement. And here is the imperative for us. It's, and when I say for us, it's not only for the Israelis, it's for us, it's for UAE, for Saudi Arabia, for Bahrain, for all the countries in the region which do not want to be the victim of the Iranian subversion. We have to work together in the war on terrorism and more important to build a new capacities of defense to, for to forestall the danger that will emerge maybe not tomorrow morning and next year if there is an agreement, but in five, 10 years. Because what is the danger? The disagreement will not lock the door to Iran to, to enter the, the, the nuclear room, or in, in simpler words, to gain nuclear capacities. It will not lock it, not hermetically, and not for, and not for good. But I want to and understand, if I want to understand, you still say they will not get a good agreement, but it's still better that you, they will get any agreement than, than just uh, nothing out of Vienna? I, I'm afraid that if will be no agreement, will be no, will be no limits on the uh, Iranian activity. And I don't see someone who is decisive and strong uh, enough to stop it by force. What about us? We, we may be in this position, but it's not the preferred choice. It's I not understand. The, look, we, we should act alone only if this is the really last resort. Really last resort. We, we, should, we have to, to, to try to avoid the situation, but maybe we will have no choice. We cannot live under Iranian bomb. No way. No way. But it's not an easy, easy choice. Yes, and I understand. don't see that we have too many strong partners for, for this position of mine. So if you were in government uh, uh, right now, uh, maybe rather than Bennett and Lapid, what would you do to achieve the most influence possible 
on the Iran nuclear issue. We all remember that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu did not have any influence because of the re relationship that you just mentioned between him and the Obama administration. I think the situation between the Bennett-Lapid government and the, the Biden administration is better, but still I, I don't, I, but still I don't see Israel dominant or maybe I'm wrong. Look, the, the Israeli dominance in Washington is a, is a fairy tale. It's not it's not the, rea the, the 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 reality. But Israel may have influence. Responsible Israeli government may have influence in 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 Washington on the critical issues. And you ask me, what would I do with the Americans to try to rebuild an intimate intelligence based dialogue to at, at least to share the information and to try to think together what to do. I may be, I mean, I'm not so happy from the, the activism of this administration, but they are our friends. They are not our enemies. Let's uh, not forget. They are the best friends that we have. So we have to reach with them understanding, agreement, and to decide on what we do together, if possible. This is the first thing. This is between Israel and the United States of America. Very important to reduce, to, 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 to use the tension, but to renew the intimacy, the trust, and the, and the, and the cooperation. Now, about the regional, uh, our, our neighbors, those, those who already signed the Abraham Accord, and those that will sign Abraham Accord in the future. We have to build with them a new strategic defense alliance with no favors of anyone. This is the mutual interest of these countries, which I actually said who they are, to act together. And the, the combination of our technologic supremacy and the financial strength of our friends together, it's a very strong power. And we have to, to consolidate this power and to use this power. This is the imperative of our, on our policy in the region. You don't think I will let you go after you said the future uh, 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 alliances or the future countries that will sign, are supposed to sign the Abraham Accords. What, which countries do you mean? Who didn't sign yet? Saudi Arabia? Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Oman. Now, you, the foreign you... minister of Oman, uh, the foreign minister of Oman said today, when the conflict with the Palestinians will be resolved, we should join. He said it today, on, but, on record. But it will not be resolved in our lifetime, as you know. Opa, that that's <laughs> brings me back to the beginning of our conversation. The, the people of Israel, I don't say the government of Israel, the people of Israel should be convinced that it is in our high strategic interest to resolve the conflict with the Palestinians. I, I hinted that we are now only half of the population uh, between the Jordan uh, and the Mediterranean. If we, are, if we are half, we have to look for 
a solution of separation and two friendly states. I, I had will be, will be no other look. People can uh, be very satisfied with their own uh, uh, messianic conviction, convictions, but at the end of the day, at the end of the century, we have to live side by side. No other way, unless we uh, we give in to the to the two Hamases, the Arab Hamas and the Jewish Hamas, and we, and we go to a, to ethnic conflict, and this is a disaster. And we, we, as you said, we, we went back to the beginning, but I have another question because we're out of time, but it's so important that I cannot let you go before asking you about Prime Minister Bennett that said in the recent interviews he granted that the war between Israel and Iran is largely one-sided and that the time had come for Israel to hit Iran directly in order to weaken it. Do you agree? Look, you know, I'm... I'm in favor of doing and not talking. But there, but there is one thing that I would, that I would recommend to, uh, to do. And I don't think we have to be uh, fond of bilateral war, but we have to change the equation of deterrence. Today, what we say, if the Israeli civilian population would be hit by rockets and missiles from Lebanon, Lebanon will be destroyed. No one in the, of the decision makers in Tehran gives a damn what will happen in Lebanon and if the Lebanese will have electricity and water or not. We have to change the, the equation of deterrence and to say, if you will hit our population, we will hit back in targets which are existentially important to you, the Iranian regime. And there are ways to make this deterrence credible without provocations. There are ways to do it. And those who have to know how to. I have to say that I'm very sorry we're out of time, but it was, it was brilliant and very, very interesting. And I thank you again, General Dr. Ephraim Sneh, for joining us here in, on uh, Israel in Al Monitor. Thank you very much to Dai Ephraim. We will go now for a brief uh, uh, recession and come back within seconds. Wait for us. Hello, I'm Gilles Kepel, professor at Sciences Po and Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for uh, staying with us. I uh, asked uh, Dr. Brigadier General Ephraim Sneh 
who was a senior a minister in many Israeli governments. What, uh, what's his opinion on the current very strange Israeli government vis-a-vis the uh, Palestinian issue? And he said that uh, this government is very balanced, but only a third of it, of the coalition, are against the two-state solution. Uh, and if this is the situation, said the Frame Sneh, this government should even take balanced steps and not do anything that it is out of the status quo of its uh, members. And he said that this government is actually a little dis- disappointing for him. He uh, did not stop the provocative acts. It is developing new settlements around Jerusalem. And there is unprecedented violence by uh, extreme settlers against Palestinians that is not contained. And these are all very uh, dangerous steps that this government is taking or not taking, uh, according to Ephraim Sne. And uh, it should uh, be more bold in doing things in order to prevent deterioration of this conflict uh, uh, to become ethnic conflict, which will be or can be, according to Sne, an existential danger to Israel as a Jewish democracy in the Middle East. By the way, uh, Ephraim Sne uses the term uh, the Arab Hamas or the Palestinian Hamas and the Jewish Hamas. And I think he is a little extreme uh, comparing the extreme settlers, and we are talking about maybe 1% of the Israeli settlers, to Hamas. And uh, we moved to, to talk about Gaza, the Gaza Strip, and there uh, he praised the government that changed the, the policy of uh, uh, Netanyahu's governments, uh, the policy especially in the response policy, uh, on violence, and uh, he said that uh, this government is is more uh, strong in responding to the to the balloons or to the rockets, and the policy should be: uh, you have to come nice uh, to the population, harsh on terrorism, and generous on the population. And he said that uh, this government is, uh, thanks God. Uh, stopped uh, strengthen, strengthening Hamas and weakening the, the Palestinian Authority, and now it, it is doing vice versa. And it's very important uh, if you want, we want to solve the Palestinian problem or the Gaza uh, problem uh, one day. And finally, he said, you cannot solve the problem of Gaza separately from the Palestinian problem. Uh, sooner or later, it should become or uh, become again one unit uh, uh, entity, united entity, of course. Then we moved uh, to speak about other fronts, uh, talking about Houthis uh, attacking uh, the Emirates. Ephraim uh, Sne mentioned a piece that he wrote seven years ago, and I remember it because I read it 
when he said or predicted that Yemen is going to be the next base of terrorism in the Middle East, uh, taking its orders from Tehran. And he actually said that the activity of the Houthis uh, from Yemen is similar to the activity of Hezbollah uh, from uh, Beirut and southern Lebanon. They are all the same hands of, the, of one head or one headquarters in Tehran. He also said that he, he doesn't know what will be the results in Vienna, but anyway, in any result in Vienna, the countries in the Middle East should go on uh, fighting terrorism and subversion in any, anywhere, anytime, in any coast, especially in Yemen, to restore order and safe, safety to the Emirates and all the other countries. A few uh, highly important things he said, I think major headlines, is that uh, the states that signed with Israel uh, the Abraham Accords, and he hinted that there are more states to come, should sign new strategic defense alliance. He said we can, uh, we can change the equation of deterrence in the Middle East, using the, the, the power and technology of the IDF and Israel and the, the economic resources of, the, of the, the other states can be combined to a very, very significant uh, force in the Middle East. Middle East. The second uh, highly important thing he said is that uh, he mentioned the precision guidance of missiles and rockets in Lebanon which is a project of the Quds uh, brigades of uh, Iran, is a, a game changer. And Israel cannot uh, live with this uh, fact or, or a possibility that uh, Nasrallah will hold tens of thousands of rockets that can hit precise targets in Israel, and Israel should act now. The red line is in front of us. It's not tomorrow, it's now. And I have to say, I hear similar things from Israeli decision makers. I don't think that we are going to war in the next weeks, but let's say within one or two years, someone in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem will have to take a very bold decision because this is really a game changer. Hope you found it uh, interesting. And I, uh, as usual, hope to see you here or meet you here next week, next uh, time, and next the same hour in uh, On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care and bye bye.